This is Echozoi Radio, episode 162 for October 2021, My Testimony. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 162 for October 2021. In a divergence from my normal format, there's no guests this month. It's just me. I've had an interesting few weeks, including catching the Rona and getting over it, mostly. And mostly. Actually, it wasn't too bad for me. My symptoms were quite mild. And aside from some lasting fatigue that fla- flared up my normal fatigue issues, uh, uh, the other symptoms were also pretty short-lasting. So I wouldn't t- have even assumed that I got it if not for I went to a conference on a Saturday and uh, there was a friend there, lives close to me. We were on the other side of town, but I asked him if he'd like a ride and he rode with me. And uh, he, uh, well, I that was Saturday. And the following Thursday I got symptoms and started thinking, oh, I wonder if this is it. I, am I finally getting Nerona or, uh, yeah, we thought maybe we'd actually even had it already. But, um, but Thursday I started getting symptoms, thought, well, maybe I got a mild cold. He texted me on Friday morning and said that he was positive and a couple other people that were at the conference also had tested positive. So it was pretty clear that I, that that's what I had. So even though I'm pretty sure I'm over it, I've been over it for over a week, week and a half. I'm, I'm trying to be cautious. And as I said, I, I had, uh, my normal fatigue issues were flared up by it and dealing with, uh, excessive fatigue again because of it. It's my one real, real symptom that has lasted from it. But, and because of that, I didn't really want to start, you know, brushing up against the end of the month. I didn't want to, uh, seek out a, a guest and then have trouble actually following through with a guest and, cause somebody else some scheduling uh, headaches and whatnot. So I thought, you know, I'll try to find something else to do. I didn't also didn't want to do a replay episode, which I've, I've only done once I th- that I can remember, but I, I don't like doing replays. So I didn't want to do that and got to thinking about it. And I thought, you know, I've kind of sprinkled my testimony a little bit over the 13 years that I've been doing the show and I've, I've sprinkled it in here and there throughout a bunch of different episodes, but I thought, why, why not? Let's just, I'll just do my testimony and we'll talk about my own backstory and maybe a, a little bit more actually about your host, about uh, who I am and where I came from and um, how, how I got saved. So that's going to be the topic today. So it's just going to be me. I'm going to talk about my, my uh, testimony, my history growing up, who I am, you know, kind of backstories and stuff. So very much more of a lighthearted, uh, little easygoing episode. And uh, actually, I already got show notes more or less written up because I uh, thought I'd, I, the least I could do is plan ahead and try to not ramble too much. 
but uh, that's that's what we've got today. So we're going to talk about my testimony. Before I get started, I, I want to talk a little bit. I brought up last month about locals, and I talked talked a little bit about trying to get on locals and starting a locals page and really trying to break out and, and do something on locals. I'd, I'd like to anyway. So I want to talk a little bit about, more about locals before we get started. First and foremost, because locals is a, a social media type site, I want to mention that in the past few days, I am done with Facebook. I have uh, went in just a couple days ago. I'm recording on uh, Thursday the 21st. And uh, a couple days ago, I went into, I reactivated my Facebook account, my personal Facebook account, so that I could go into the Echozoe Ministries page and uh, outright delete the page. So Echozoe Ministries is now off of Facebook. We're not there anymore. And my personal page, which has been deactivated for over two years, is now gone. So I'm not on Facebook anymore. Just kind of had it with Facebook. I'm the 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 company is. I just I think they're really very very unethical. I don't like them as a company at all. I don't want anything to do with them. So I am off Facebook. And not telling anybody else to get off. If you are on Facebook and you're making a ministry of it, or even if you're not, you just on there with your friends, whatever. This is uh, this is my thing. I'm not comfortable with it anymore, but uh, to each his own. So I'm off Facebook and trying to, like I said, I want to I want to get something going on locals. Um, and just to be sure that you aren't kind of I, locals. It sounds weird. I mean, what what is he saying? L O C A L S locals dot com. Uh, and I just want to encourage you, there is a, a bit of a mental hurdle involved with the site. I've been a user of Locals as a, a, you know, a subscriber, kind of, you know, somebody who just, uh, not, not on the creator side, but on the user side. I've been on there for uh, quite a while, like several months at the very least. And, but it, it, there was a mental hurdle that I had to get over in order to, to get to that point. And the big thing is because it's a, a paid subscription service. And it's just, you know, why would you do that? You know, that's, we've been so trained in our mindset, especially with Facebook and whatnot, that th- these are free sites. Why would I, why would I pay for something like that over when I can do it for free over on say Facebook or whatnot? And I, I just want to encourage people to check it out and not necessarily the Echo Zoe locals page, just locals in general, check it out. It's a really neat site. It's a great platform. I mean, it's growing like gangbusters and it's, it's really cool. There's a lot of great people and pages already on there. And I just want to encourage people just, just to try it, just check it out. Get your, get your toes wet. Don't, I'm not telling you, you need to pay for anything. Um, not encouraging people necessarily to pay, um, just to check it out, just to see, just create an account. It still is early enough that you can, for a large part, you can get the usernames that you want, you know, my name is common and Andy is a common first name and I'm from Minnesota, upper Midwest. Olson's are a dime a dozen here. It's like Smith up here, Olson, Johnson, Anderson. I mean, we're some of the three biggest names in the upper Midwest. So, and Andy Olson, I mean, there's 20 or 30 of them just here in the twin cities Metro. So I find that generally once something's been on the site's been around for a while, getting my name as a username is really hard, but, um, 
I've gotten in early enough on locals that I have Andy Olson as a username. So it's still, it's still kind of up and coming, but, um, check it out. Uh, go on there, just poke around. There are other great sites on there. Great pages. Uh, Babylon B has a page there. Uh, Prager U, if you're in a Prager U has a page. Um, Scott Adams is a early guy. You know, Scott Adams is the Dilbert comic creator. Scott, um, he's, he can be kind of an interesting guy to, to, to follow. He's gotten a little bit more into kind of politics and stuff, especially going back to 2016 with Trump's run. And uh, Scott's really into persuasion. He teaches people arts of persuasion and how to persuade and how to spot persuasion. And um, he's got some some kind of neater stuff that he does. I am not a paid subscriber on any of those sites but uh, or those pages, but they are on there. Um, Viva Barnes Law is the one page that I pay for. Uh, Viva Fry and Robert Barnes are a couple of lawyers and I've been following them on YouTube for quite a while and um, really enjoy Viva Fry uh, is the pseudonym for David Fryheit, who's a lawyer out of Montreal. And then Robert Barnes lives in Las Vegas and uh, the two of them together have a, a locals page and they do some live streaming through YouTube and they do a lot of stuff that's uh, locals exclusive the locals exclusive stuff is really neat. And, and that's what I like about the site is when people start doing the, the exclusive stuff, a lot of stuff is in front of the paywall. That's why I say, just try it, just check it out, go in, see the, see what it's about. Um, not even, I'm, I'm really at this point, I'm not even asking you to subscribe to anybody, much less pay for, for Echo Zoe, but just try it. Cause it's a neat site. Uh, if you do want to try out Echo Zoe, the check out, the Echo Zoe Ministries page, echozoe.locals.com. We will have a promo code I'm going to do every month, at least through the end of the year and probably well into 2022. We're going to have promo codes up. They will be pinned at the top of the page, so you can just sign up, uh, go in and, and subscribe. Not When I say subscribe, I mean like like you would subscribe to a podcast kind of thing, not not pay, but just go in and like a pay, like the page or or. Uh, I don't even remember what the terminology is, but come on to Echo Zoe. And then in front of the paywall, pinned comment at the top will be the current month's promo code. So you can get in and try out Echo Zoe and become part of the community for free. Not going to cost you anything. Um, I think the catch might be you might have to put a credit card in in order to use it, but it's not going to charge you for that first month. So uh, I'm hoping that we can grow a community. There's a lot of neat features there. And really for me as a creator on the content side, I'm just trying to build up a, a just a little bit of a community. Uh, if I can get 50 people on there, so, some features start to open up and I get a little bit more, the site becomes more useful on the content creation side. I don't realistically see getting up above uh, 50 is the, is the first tier where things open up. I don't realize, I think the next one is like 500 and I don't realistically see growing that big. Um, Lord willing, that'd be great, but um, just get 50 people open some things up. And I, and and I also just want to introduce people to locals because it's a neat, uh, neat site. There's a lot of value to it. And one of the things is when you're paying for the site, that's where they get their revenue. Both locals and the content creator get their revenue through the subscription model. And so they're not getting revenue through ads. They're not getting ready, uh, revenue by selling your data. They're not data collecting. 
They're not, um, you know, that's what I really finally did it for me with Facebook is just realizing that's always been their business model. And the old saying is, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And so with locals, you're paying for the product. If you want, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of people that go on there and they just use the features that they have in front of different paywalls. And there's uh, several communities that I've poked around on and I like to check in on that put most of their stuff in front of the paywall. And uh, you can get a, 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 you can get a good solid experience from them in front of paywalls without having to, to pay for things. Another neat thing and, and really a valuable thing that comes out of that structure is that you don't really get the trolls. Because people are not going to pay money in order to go and troll. You go on Twitter, you know, all, all the rancor that you get on Twitter and Facebook, you just don't quite get that with locals. It, it's kind of self-policing because people, like I said, you know, people don't want to pay just to go be mean to others. You know, that's that's what Twitter's for. That's what Facebook's for. So come check us out. Um, if you decide to stay, I did mention last month I was thinking about doing like a tiered, uh, like a, like, you know, I was going to tier things where I thought if, if I got up to the 50, I would drop the subscription price down to from $5, which is kind of the typical, what most people charge $5 for their pages. There's it's, it's not mandatory you charge $5, but that's the typical charge is $5 a month. Minimum is $2. They won't let you charge less than that on locals. And I had been thinking, I think I mentioned last month that if I got to 50 people, I would drop it down to $2 a month. I gave it some more thought and I thought, you know, that's just ridiculous. Why would I wait until I got 50 people before I dropped the price? I, so I just dropped the price. It's just $2. Is, and that's that's the least I can get. Uh, locals won't let me charge less than that. Like I said, most of what I plan to put there is going to be in front of the paywall. But in order to get the full rich experience, it's just 2 bucks a month. And you're helping Equizoe Ministries. I think we see about probably see about a dollar thirty of that per month. So, um, and and if I got to fifty people, that would actually you know it's not super expensive to run this ministry because it's just uh, you know paying for a little bit of bandwidth and uh, web web hosting and whatnot. And the fifty people at a dollar thirty each would would cover all of my basic expenses. So you, we're, I'm I'm at I'm not trying to do it for the money, but if we get the 50 people, then that's kind of a, a fringe benefit as it would cover most of the expenses of the ministry. So now show notes for this episode, you know, I already put together kind of a bullet pointed list of what I'd like to talk about. So those will be available at echozoe.com slash 162. So let's get into it. We're going to talk about my testimony today for this October episode. And I suppose the best place to start is just where I come from just in life in general. And, you know, it's, I've mentioned many times over the last 13 years that I live in the Twin Cities Metro in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, here in the United States. I grew up, I've lived in Minnesota my whole life. I was born in Southern Minnesota, kind of a medium sized town of, uh, I don't know what it was when we, when I was born down there, but it's currently the town is about 25, 27,000 people. So it's not a small town, but it's it's not a huge town. Lived down there until I was uh, kindergarten age. And my, my parents, uh, my mom grew up about a half hour away from where I was born. My dad 
grew up in Western Minnesota. They met at uh, a community college. And so the, after getting married, they moved, they, they lived out kind of nearby where my dad grew up for a while. And then before I was born, we moved, they moved to Southern Minnesota, um, lived there till I was in, like I said, in kindergarten. And, and then, uh, I was just kind of finishing up kindergarten when we moved up to the Twin Cities Metro. My parents really were just for the most part looking for good, better schools. You know, I was the oldest of two. I've got a younger brother and they were looking for where can we get, you know, get a house that's uh, in a neighborhood that we can afford that uh, has, has really good schools. And so at the time, you know, 30 years ago, almost 40 years ago, actually close to 40 years ago, man, I'm getting old. Uh, the, where we moved to North, North Metro was some of the best schools in the, in the Minnesota for public schools. So moved up there and that's where I did all my schooling from first grade up through graduating high school. Moved around a few different houses and stuff up there, but grew up uh, north North Twin Cities Metro. Uh, grew up in a my my both my parents were come from families that were evangelical Lutheran, so that's how we were raised as uh, even ELCA Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, one of the most liberal denominations, one of the most li- liberal synods of the most liberal denominations. Uh, out there, main mainline denomination, but my parents, I you know I don't know they, my my parents had 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 good good values. I mean I, I wouldn't say they were believers as I was growing up. You know, sorry mom, sorry dad, if you're listening. Uh, that's uh, I I wasn't I wasn't saved because I was raised in a household where that was important to my family. But it was important to them that we grow up with kind of those typical, you know, cultural Christian values. So, you know, we went to Sunday school every Sunday uh, as we got into, uh, what, what is it in ELCA? And I think it's kind of similar to the Catholic Church, but uh, you go through First Communion, usually probably about, what, six to eight years old you do. Uh, you know, it was after I moved, so I must have been seven or eight years old when we did First Communion. And then, uh, because they're uh, Pado Baptists, they they do confirmation, and, and so I went through confirmation in high school. Uh, I seem to remember that being about a two year process. I think it was eighth and ninth grade was confirmation. That's something that my parents expected, just because that's what they did. And so it was a you know I don't know, was it a Wednesday night thing for going to confirmation at the at the Lutheran church that we were a part of at the time. A lot of the people that were in my confirmation were classmates at, at uh, junior and then into senior high too. But um, So that's where I was growing up. I, I did have kind of the very basic of the of values, some very, very basic values instilled in me growing up, stuff that I you know, very much still... Uh, respect and and i'm grateful for that if if i couldn't be raised in a christian family i i think the lord did me very well the way he did it and uh as i'm growing up and going through high school into high school just kind of typical kid things you know going to high school kind of things um i i i would find myself grabbing my bible I would sit down and read it like you and I would read it right now as a believer. I, you know, I wouldn't sit down and just like read John or read, uh, you know, 
read through a book of the Old Testament or New Testament. I, I, I wouldn't read through books at all. But I'd grab it once in a while and just kind of thumb through it and see what I might be able to find. And um, I, I remember in high school, I was probably about 16, I would say, thumbing through and having a verse that jumped out at me. And it was a verse that as I was going through in, you know, 10th grade-ish, 10th, 11th grade, started getting through some of that puberty-style things where life is just seems like it's tougher and you got social structures making things difficult and whatnot. And, you know, you kind of down and out at times. I was never, like, very much a depressed kind of person, but, you know, just typical uh, adolescent-type down and out things once in a while. And the verse that I found that I, that really stuck with me at the time was out of, out of Deuteronomy. It was Deuteronomy 31, 8. And this was my ELCA Lutheran Bible that I got through confirmation, I, I believe. I think that's where I got this Bible. I think I still have it, actually. Um, yeah, see it on the shelf over there. So my good news Bible. I, I, I never read the good news Bible. I don't even really know much about it. It's not the greatest translation. But Deuteronomy 31.8. So the context of this verse, I I would I mean, I had to go back years later once I was saved and look, what, what was the context? Because I didn't even think about context when I found this verse in high school. The context of uh, Deuteronomy 31 is Moses is coming to the end of his life. He's in the land of Moab. The Lord's going to take him up on Mount Nebo and show him the promised land, but he's being told, you're not allowed to go in there. Okay. And he's about to give his farewell speech. Moses knows he's going to die. And he's giving his speech to the Israelites. And he's commissioning, commissioning Joshua to be the leader that would succeed him. And then once he passed, he, they were, he knew Joshua is going to lead you into the promised land. And that's where this verse comes. The verse says, The Lord himself will lead you and be with you. He will not fail you or abandon you, so do not lose courage or be afraid. Now, what is typical, I was very typical in that this verse, I, you know, I, I, I kind of claimed the verse, this verse. I, I love this verse. This was my verse, you know, like going to go through tough times. I, I like this verse. The Lord's going to lead me with me, lead me, lead me and be with me that he's not going to fail me. And so I shouldn't be afraid. And um, now I know better now, been saved for over 20 years, two decades. Um, I know better now that context, contextually that verse was not written for me. There are other verses that say similar things that were contextually would be more of uh, uh, fair for somebody to, to latch onto as a promise of God. This one's not really... It, directly good for that kind of thing. But of course, what we can get out of it is that God was faithful, that he, he said this to, to the Israelites. He said this to Joshua, said this through Moses and he kept his promise. So that I, uh, we can, we can use, but this whole thing was a kind of part of the process. As I look back later on, after being saved, I start, I can see in hindsight, I can see the Lord laying the groundwork for eventually saving me, for, for bringing me to, into his family and to, 
growing me eventually. And, and this is one of those things I look back and I, and I think a lot of what I went through growing up, good and bad, and I would say mostly on the good, but, but good and bad, most of what I went through, I definitely see the hand of God in it all. I see that he was laying the groundwork knowing that I was his and that he was going to call me eventually. And um, he was just laying things down so that they would be there when the time was right. Another incident that happened that I look back on pre-salvation and kind of seeing the tug of the Lord on was I was in, I can't remember if it was my first year or second year of college. I went to North Dakota State, which is in Fargo, North Dakota, and which is about a four-hour drive, three-and-a-half to four-hour drive from where my parents still live to this day. And uh, so I didn't go home a lot. I think that first year I probably went home more so than than the rest of my college uh, time. But I had I had gone home, and and I don't remember. It might have been Christmas break that I was coming back from, or it might have just been a. It was a winter trip home, and I was on my back. Wait, I'd I'd been home, and now I'm going back to college. The roads are rough, um, and you know. Winter roads, if, if you're familiar with the upper Midwest, especially, you know, as you get closer to North Dakota and the Dakotas, uh, they can get kind of bad. Um, I had, uh, on a previous trip home, encountered also some similar type roads. And, um, no, I, it, it's all blending together here. Maybe I'm thinking of a different story, but. Anyway, I was uh, not that far from, from Fargo. I was probably 15, 20 miles east of uh, Fargo-Moorhead and hit, hit a spot where the roads were especially icy. And there was a car, it was a pickup truck, like an S10-type pickup truck that was maybe a quarter mile ahead of me on the freeway, half-mile tops. I mean, it was it was up it was a safe distance ahead of me, but it was not, you know, so far I couldn't see it. And I saw this guy uh, hit some icy patch on the freeway and his pickup started to fishtail. And then all of a sudden he, he started to lose control. He went off to the right side. He hit the snow bank on the side of the freeway and then he rolled and all this happened right in front of me. And uh, so I, I had a friend that went to college with me, but he was a friend from high school as well. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't really know each other that well in high school, but we we knew each other well enough that hey, you know, we're from the same hometown, and he used to ride home with me. And he didn't have a car; he'd he'd ride home and back with me. And um, he was with me that trip. And um, this this car this pickup flipped over, so we you know immediately I'm just terrified. I'm wondering is this is this guy okay? So. Um, as best and safely as I could, I pulled over and went to check it out, make sure he was okay. He climbed out of the driver's side window. He was fine, unhurt. Uh, his pickup is upside down, but he's fine. He's completely fine. And uh, But then I'm standing there, and I almost didn't even think about the severity of what happened next. But as we're sitting there talking, somebody else had pulled over also, kind of wondering what's, you know, is everybody okay? And a car came careening by, also lost control, 
and slid past me, probably going at the at that point going close to fifty miles an hour as it's sliding out of control right past me, missed by missed me by less than a foot. And at at the at, when it actually happened, it was just like oh, car went by. And it wasn't until later that I realized like just how serious that was that I was inches away from I, it would have killed me it would have completely I, I would have died that day had that car had I been a foot over if I'd been standing one foot in another direction or that car slid one foot closer to me I, w- I would not be with us today so but what I got out of that experience was I came out of it and the Lord had always given me an incredible piece about that and that even though at the time I, I wasn't even saved yet but I got this piece that going back to this verse that I kind of claimed out of context. And like I said, there, there are plenty of other verses that uh, say similar things that are not out of context that, uh, that you know, would be a valid promise, but the, the Lord keeps him, his people. I never really had a strong fear of death because I kind of figured, you know, life is, I mean, I realize it more now than ever, but life is short. But even at, uh, you know, I was probably 19, 20 years old at the time, just realizing that um, it's, it's, it's short. And uh, I, I'm not going to be here that long. But, but the, uh, when I go, I go, and the Lord, it'll be on the Lord's timing. So, um, so that was something that, again, kind of kept with me early, you know, but pre-salvation. And so I was saved in college. I was uh, still a student up at North Dakota State University in Fargo. Uh, it was my third year. Now, um, my college is just a little bit atypical, just just a tiny bit atypical in that I went into architecture, which I've you know I've talked about in the past. But my degree is in architecture. Architecture is a professional degree, and so normally uh, being a professional degree. Most schools offer architecture as a master's program. So you go through um, undergrad and then you get a master's, you go on and get a master's degree. North Dakota State, I think these days they added a couple credits. And so it is a master's program now, I believe. And I think it's not much different than what I went through, um, but for an extra few credits. But my degree was not, it was not a master's, but it was a, a professional bachelor's degree. And what made that different than a typical bachelor's degree was that it required an extra year of school. So I did five years of school, but it was five years and I graduated on time. It wasn't, it wasn't four years and I took five to get through. It was a five-year program. So because of that, I have all, I've all, and then also I, I kind of got ahead of myself a little bit at the beginning, as far as credits go, I was technically a sophomore after my first semester of school, after finishing my first semester. So it's all muddy, you know, to talk about freshman software, junior, senior is we never really talked like that when I was in school because it was a five-year thing. It was just more like first year, second year, you know, all the way up to fifth year. I was saved at the end of my third year. So school had ended. Um, and I, I, I remember it was quite a change for me because in, in grade school, high school, the school year always ended first week of June. But then I get to college and 
we were on a, we were always on a semester system. It wasn't a, a quarter system that a lot of, some colleges still have, but um, it, it was never that kind of system. It was always a semester system. And so we'd always start last week in August and we would finish first week in May. And I was saved about a week. I, I don't know the exact date. I, I've never, I didn't think to write it down at the time. I didn't think to, to look. It, it wasn't like like graduation or getting married or your kids being born or something where I thought, you know, I, I this is a day I should know for the rest of my life. And now I wish I did. I've always kind of wished that I'd remembered the exact date. But it was May 1999. And when I go back and look at the May 1999 calendar, I put it at about the 22nd of May, which was a Saturday. And what happened was I had finished school. I had, um, I was living alone that year in a one bedroom apartment that I'd gotten in college. Um, it was an old house, an old, old, old house that had been re, uh, remodeled and sort of, um, it was in rough shape, but they turned this one house into five apartments and I was in an upstairs apartment, a little one bedroom. I was a, it was a very small one bedroom apartment. I had a friend that was down in the basement. This, uh, I still friends with this guy to the, to this day. Um, he was several years older than me. I want to say four or five, six years older than me. So he was, he had graduated. I think, I think my freshman year was his senior year. He was a, a civil engineering. Uh, he, he had gone for civil engineering. And he was living in the basement. He, uh, this was like not even a, this was a, not a one bedroom apartment. He lived in a one room apartment. It was kind of a bedroom, living room, kitchen, all in one. And then, um, with a bathroom and, uh, he was a believer and he was, he was a, he was a neat guy. He's still a neat guy. I, I just, he lives in Colorado now and I actually just saw him earlier this summer. He, he came through his wife, his wife's parents his wife's well, his wife's dad died i think before they got married but his wife's mom lives in just the next town over from where my parents live so he even though he lives in colorado he's back in he comes through town every so often so they go visit his mother-in-law he's a believer and it turned out you know i find out after i'd been saved that he'd been praying for me quite a bit and uh, he'd pray for a lot of people he was very much uh um very, very extroverted. He was a very social guy, a uh, lot you know, kind of guy that would, you know, I, I'm a, I'm kind of borderline extrovert, introvert. I'm like right on the line between the two. I, I, I can have enjoyment being with other people, but I can be content by myself as well. So um, I, I kind of break the mold between introvert versus extrovert. Where I'm more on the introverted side is I, I tend to value having a few really close, strong friendships versus having lots of, you know, not very strong friendships or very deep friendships. My friend uh, Tom was is kind of more of that latter. You know, he's he's very extroverted, but he would is just more inclined to have lots of lots and lots of friends, and always praying for people. He was in uh, um, what were those organizations in college? Some some of those college organizations. He was in is that. Uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I had several friends that I ended up being friends with in college after I was saved that were 
in these groups. I was never part of any of them, but uh, what happened was, so I'm home. Um, it, it's the weekend, like a full week before Memorial Day weekend. Um, I'm back up and just kind of up for the weekend. I don't even remember why I was back, but you know, looking back, it's it's all providential that the Lord would bring me back up there for a weekend. My friend had another friend, uh, 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 someone who was old enough to be, you know, it's in my parents' generation, uh, old enough to be our dads, but a uh, guy that had a jewelry store over in Moorhead and another believer. And uh, I don't know how Tom had discovered, well, they're both named Tom, actually. Uh, how, how I don't know how they met, but he got his hands on some of these uh these, these tape sets from Tom the Jeweler. And the tape sets were recorded by Chuck Missler. And uh, if you're not familiar with Chuck, uh, now the late Chuck. Chuck is uh, minister, had a ministry. He's not with us anymore. Chuck Missler died in, uh, I would say, May of, May of 2018. So he's been about three years ago he died. But older guy, um ministry that for many, many years was out of uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, very much a eschatology-driven ministry, uh, very much pre-millennial, pre-trib. Uh, very, he, he's uh, talked many, many times about his friendship with Hal Lindsey, if that gives you some indication. If you're not familiar with Chuck Missler, you, you almost certainly know who Hal Lindsey is. Similar uh, theology, similar... Um, very similar eschatology. So my friend Tom, who lived downstairs from me, got from his friend Tom a couple of these tape sets from Chuck Missler. He used to call them briefing packs. They were they were usually two tape sets where each tape, you know, cassette tapes, that dates me a bit, but these uh, tapes about all kinds of different subjects, but usually they would tie back to eschatology. And this particular one Tom had gotten, and, and he... He gave to me as I was home or back in, back up in, I say home, back up in Fargo that weekend was called the new world order. And I thought, wow, okay. He's like, you got to listen to this. So I took it and it was another one too. I don't remember what the other tapes that was, but the one that really grabbed me was a new world order. And it was uh, an interview with somebody. I can't remember who it was, but as they were going through, uh, a lot of kind of conspiracy theory type stuff. I mean, if you were to get into some of this stuff these days, it would, well, these days you'd start thinking, you know, they were right all along. But um, but in those days, it would be, you know, kind of a conspiracy theory kind of stuff. But, but really using verifiable current events and, you know, events from the rarely rec- fairly recent past, you know, the last 10 years before that, and we're talking... This is 99, so talking through the 90s, different things that were kind of working towards a, a one-world system, a, a world government-type system. Um, and the Lord really grabbed me. This is what he used to really wake me up and to show me who I was as a sinner and to show me that I needed a Savior and then... All that stuff started making sense that, you know, I went to a very liberal 
denomination, the ELCA is what I grew up in. But there was enough truth there that, that I learned, you know, even simple things like the Ten Commandments would all of a sudden make sense to me as, uh, as I'm going through this. And what really did it was, was, was see, hearing the case be made that the, the Lord is going to come back. And, you know, I'd always heard about, you know, the, the second coming, you know, kind of stuff just through pop culture type references and stuff. But um, it, it all of a sudden really like sunk in hard that this isn't just some crazy kooky Christian stuff that, no, he's coming back. He really is. It's And, and he's told us what the world's going to be like when he does come back. And the world is kind of setting up, it's kind of looking like it's being set up in that direction. That's what grabbed me. And that's how the Lord woke me up and realized all of a sudden then I, I realized, okay, he's coming back and that's not a good thing for me because all of a sudden I understood my condition. I understood the sin that I was drenched in that my nature itself was sinful and that I deserved God's wrath. It all, all of a sudden made perfect sense to me. And I realized that all of a sudden it's, wow, that's what the cross was about. That's what they keep saying when, when they say we're, that Jesus saves us, that that's what he's saving us from. He's, he's saving us from the wrath I deserve for my sin. And I realized that all this pop culture type belief and being a good person, oh, you'd get to heaven if you just just be a decent person, you know, be better than average. Be average, you know, and you'll be fine, you know. And I realized that doesn't that's not the truth. That's not how the world works. That's how he grabbed me. And I remember it was almost Memorial Day because I remember a week later I had had tickets with some high school friends to go to a, a concert kind of festival. There was a, They used to do this, as far as I know, maybe they still do. There was a Twin Cities radio station called the, I think it was called the Edge 93X. You know, they kind of went back and forth. They were 93X and then they were the Edge and then they, there were 93x again or i don't remember but the uh you know 90s grunge alternative type music and some friends were going to a festival it was a kind of a friday i think it was a friday saturday maybe into sunday type festival where you'd, you'd go stay at a campground there the, the the festival itself wasn't at a campground but there was a campground associated with where the festival was so people would camp there and then they you know they'd have buses that would go to the festival and i remember going to that and it was it was really not, I remember, you know, I was just freshly saved and I went there and it was not the kind of place that a new Christian would, I certainly would, I'd never been back because, you know, I've been saved since then, but um, it was not that kind of, it was a lot of, a lot of like living for the world kind of activities going on there. Um, and and even then, being freshly saved, I came out of it and realized this this is really dark. And it was really dark. But um, 
and that's that's partly how I remember when it happened because, like I said, I can't remember the exact date. I can't remember, and it it, it was around May twenty second because the the twenty ninth, thirtieth, thirty first of nineteen ninety nine would have been Memorial Day weekend, and and um, yeah, that would make sense. So it wouldn't have been Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It would have been Saturday, Sunday, Monday because it was Memorial Day weekend. But anyway, so um. So then I, the Lord shook me. The Holy Spirit shook me. All of a sudden, his word made sense to me. He testified. And he'd been testifying to me for years in different ways. And I look back and I'm just, even now, it's, you know, that was 99. And I'm it's 2021 now. And I'm still just utterly amazed at, how the Lord would kind of lay a foundation that he would do things on his timing, but everything was done perfectly. One thing I remember, I grew up, like I said, my parents were churchgoers, but they weren't, they were like cultural Christians. They brew, like I said, they both were, I think coincidentally, you know, they met at, at a technical college. Uh, they, they just coincidentally were, were both ELCA Lutherans. Um, my, so both, both sides, my grandparents were ELCA Lutheran. And I, I remember one of those, I, that summer, that summer, I think that summer was after third year. I think I'd stayed. I know I spent, uh, so I had four summer. being five years in school, I had four summers between each, between the, the, the school years. And there was one year that I stayed in Fargo and I worked, I ended up working for the city that summer instead of coming home. And uh, I think that might've been that summer. No, it wasn't. It was the it was the following summer that I stayed home, stayed in Fargo. Um, no, because I remember that that summer I worked, I worked with my mom. We worked with a company that would go into grocery stores and they would do they called it merchandising, and we would be tasked with going in and we'd, uh, making sure that specific groups of shelves were laid out exactly to a to plan, and somebody would somebody would plan out. The shelves are, you know, four feet wide and there's uh, three shelves wide and there, you know, it might be, uh, you're looking at like the soup, you know, soup, soup section or something. So they would have a drawing that would have every can and like how many facings wide and every inch of that shelf would be planned out for how it would be. And it was, so we were with a company that would go in and make sure that, that, you know, I'd have a section and I'd have to go in and make sure that it was uh, lined up. And I had three different stores I was assigned to. So I'd work three days a week and go in and uh, make sure that everything was laid out right and whatnot. But so it was an interesting summer because all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm, it was a very much a, a grunt work kind of job, but 
but I had a different outlook on it. You know, the Lord had just saved me. And so I was so utterly appreciative of so much. That's so much gratitude in my heart for everything. And clearly was a different person. But another thing that was interesting was coming home. Um, I, I recall, you know, my dad was self, still is self-employed and had a home, still has a home office down in the basement. I remember going down and sitting across the desk with my dad and just talking and sharing my, my newfound faith with him. And one of the first times that I ever had the chance to share the gospel was sharing with my dad what the Lord had just done to me. And I remember at the time, he was very quiet and just kind of looked at me. He listened lovingly, listened, but he, I think he had this look on his face like he thought I joined a cult. And I think there was to some degree some interest in the story, but I think there was also some worry. I think he was kind of worried that what has my son gotten into? Now with time, he would realize that it was genuine, that the Lord had saved me. And he had also would uh, would see that, no, it wasn't a cult. Because I'm going to normal churches now, hanging around with normal people, not... Uh, not locked into some some weird cult group, but uh, that was an interesting experience, and I, and I'm so thankful also for for that that the first time I'd ever get the chance to share the gospel would be with my father, who I would learn later would would leave me some indication that he was extremely grateful for what the Lord did for me and, and that it through me, I think he woke up my family to what faith really is. And so still some struggles. I think, you know, I, I, we all know what it means to be saved, that it doesn't mean that we're perfect for any, by any stretch at all. The Lord continues to work in us and sanctify us and whatnot. And uh, another thing that was really big was I just love looking back at how much I devoured my Bible. I remember reading through every chance I get, I could I would sit down and just read my Bible. That's what I spent my free time with. All of a sudden, the TV was turned off. And I had a Bible in my hand as I would uh, go through. And, and and I remember reading through, I read that whole Bible. It wasn't a year. I know people talk about reading, reading the Bible in a year. It did not take that long for me to get through. It took a while. It took months to get through everything. But I just devoured that thing. Now, Chuck Missler was a guy who I, because he was instrumental in, my initial salvation and, and the Lord showing me who he was and who I was. I, I really loved his stuff early on. He had a lot of tape. He called them tape sets, briefing packs. He had verse by verse stuff too. Um, when 
Iowa Save, that was kind of when MP3s were just really getting started as a format for things. And so I would grab both tape sets, but then also I'd try to get my hands on, a lot of times it would just be a, a CD with uh, MP3s burned on it. So you could get, you know, far more than an hour. You could get many, many hours on a CD through MP3 format. But uh, I uh, went through a lot of his stuff. And, and one thing, you know, his, as I grew, my theology matured and I grew out of Chuck Missler. But one thing I look fondly back on from my days of following his materials was he had a lot of stuff that was verse by verse. Now, you know, the theology actually wasn't terrible. It wasn't very deep in a lot of ways, but it wasn't horrible theology. It was, it was Arminian. It was premillennial. It was, or uh, pre-trib, you know, kind of Hal Lindsey type stuff. But, but I am so thankful to the Lord for saving me through one of his things because uh, for the first, you know, five, six years that I was saved, I, you know, I really, he was my go-to. He was the, the guy that I, you know, listened to besides going to, you know, church and listening to a live pastor preach every Sunday. If uh, on my free time, if I was listening to Christian materials, a lot of times it was Chuck Missler stuff. And it was that verse by verse stuff. I, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. You know, um, it, it ended up guiding me into where I eventually would get into uh, churches that were preaching expositorily verse by verse. took a few years before we got to that point. But ironically, even though our, well, you know, our, our current church isn't so far from Chuck Missler. We're definitely different. But ironically, we found that church through, kind of through Chuck Missler because he came to town, uh, Twin Cities, Back in 2002, so I'd been saved for about three years. And um, and I caught through his materials that he was going to be in town. I just happened to look down and see, oh, you're going to be in and not that far into the future. It was Jan Markell who had brought him into town and was having a little mini conference as Jan, I don't know what she used to do. I think she maybe still does. Um, and this was one of her very early conferences Jan is uh, very much a, uh, a similar mindset to, to the Missler and the Hal Lindsey, I think, to this day, is very much kind of focused on end-time stuff. Now, she definitely has gotten very kooky. Um, she used to be much better. but um, So I learned of her through him coming into the town for the conference. And then through her, she was going to Bob DeWay's church at the time. And Bob DeWay is uh, still a preacher at the church that I go to. And um, it was uh, after we got married. I was married New Year's Day, 2005. My wife and I got married. She, uh, you know, it was really interesting, was saved about a month before I was. So, but five years before we met. So we were saved about the same time. Her story is a little different, but. It is. It's always been kind of fun to learn that we were both saved so so close together. So anyway, we went to a typical um, e-free evangelical free church uh, when we were first, kind of when we were dating. As we were going through, we found one that did some marriage classes. We didn't live near each other. We were about uh, about an hour apart, so we'd only see each other on weekends. But 
we found a church that we could do. Uh, it was actually a friend of mine that was going there and told me about their marriage classes. So we, we kind of got into this church through marriage classes. And But then after we were married for uh, well, yeah, a few months, it was probably six, seven months, she was having a hard time with the preaching at the church because the guy, you know, it was a typical E-free church. You know, it was very, very shallow. But what bothered her was the guy, the way he spoke, his inflection. He would, he would inflect on the weirdest syllables of a sentence and just drove her nuts. And so she's like, we got to find something else. And and, uh, and I'd been listening to Jan Markell, and she used to rail about terrible churches. And I emailed her and said, well, you talk about the terrible churches. You got any good ones that you could recommend? Because we're kind of going to start looking for another church. And she she pointed out one. It actually happens to be where my son does part-time private school. And he, he has done the, the, the church that has a school and a seminary attached to it. We, we went there, checked it out. Um, good church. You know, my, my son goes to school through that church. And, um, they're one of the better seminaries in town. They were a little bit on the, mm, were, I, don't know, I, I mean, I want to say fundamentalist side. I, you know, I interviewed Kevin Bowder, who was affiliated with the seminary, or he teaches at the seminary there at the school and stuff. And he, he identifies himself as a fundamentalist Christian, but um, a, a little bit, we, we saw it as almost legalistic and stuff because we walked in there kind of as, get used to the come as you are type churches. And we go in there and, and the guys are all wearing white button-down shirts and dress pants, and the women are all wearing dresses down to their ankles, and and we were out of place. My wife's wearing my wife's wearing jeans. I'm wearing jeans, jeans and a polo shirt, and nobody said anything to us. But we, you know, we definitely stuck out like sore thumbs. But uh, so she'd said she'd heard good things about that church, and you know, after that one experience, we decided eh, it's not really for us. But she said. You know, you can always come to what the time was called Twin City Fellowship. And so we thought, well, we tried the other one. I don't want to go to a church just because the lady on the radio goes to that church. But So we went, check, checked out one, and then we went to the other, and, and uh, that's where we ended up. And, you know, talked about the history. The church ended up splitting in the end of 2012, and so we're not Twin City Fellowship anymore. And, but... Uh, where I am now, I'm still still going to church with Bob DeWay after uh, it's been uh, 16 years. So, um, yeah, as as a baby Christian, I I had a lot to learn. I remember, you know, I went to e-free churches up to that point where I was looking for church, and it was actually another thing. I, I talk about the providence. My wife being so driven crazy by the preaching style that uh, that was that's what drove us to to a better church and I was primed for it having listened to that verse by verse stuff that by the time I got there and experienced verse by verse preaching and it it was this is home and so they've been there ever since but I went through I didn't know you know Chuck Missler is was was an Arminian and I never really understood that discussion going through. And that was something that I had to go through. And, and actually bobbed away. It kind of helped me with a little bit early on. I remember struggling. What, what is this all about? And I was a big fan of Greg Kokel, who I interviewed very early on. He was one of my first 
you know, one of my first a half dozen guests, I think, was Greg Kokel in his, uh, about his tactics book. And I used to listen to him all the time. And Greg is, uh, Greg, Greg always identifies as a Calvinist, and he seems a little bit more of your uh, kind of mainline Christian, kind of your E-free type Christian, but he always says he's a Calvinist. And, and then I was also, at the time, Dave Hunt was still around, and I was listening to Dave Hunt stuff, and he railed against Calvinism. He just, it just despised Calvinism. And I, so I, that was something I remember asking Bob about and, you know, um, kind of starting to figure out that Bob, Bob is on the Calvinistic side as far as salvation goes and, and, uh, uh, soteriologically Calvinistic and, uh, a reformed view of salvation. And, and that, that, that was a growth point was learning what that was all about. Now, Chuck Missler was pre millennial, but he's also pre trib. And I've grown out of that. You know, we've talked many times, my friend, Robin, Ryan Habana, who's on the board at Echo Zoe here, led me out of pre trib to the pre wrath understanding of rapture and, and, uh, end times. Now I know a lot of you listening are, are not even necessarily pre millennial that I have a lot of, millennial listeners and and that's great i don't begrudge anybody's varying views and and uh i i'm i'm a pre pre-millennial and i hold to it very strongly but um i i love that we we can i i, I love the divergence on that non-essential issue i really do now pre pre-trib is very popular in the amongst evangelical and uh protestant and what do we even call each other these days i know i hate calling myself an evangelical just the way that that word has lost all meaning and i'm actually really you know i've said it before i really admire uh, scott uh, um oh, all of a sudden now after all this talking i'm an hour into this i finally can't think straight um scott clark is uh orthodox presbyterian and he's very jealous as an Orthodox Presbyterian of the, of the term reformed. And it's not good enough to be Calvinistic in your understanding of salvation. You've got to be thoroughly down the line Presbyterian or you're not reformed. And eh, you know, I don't quite agree with that, but I've always admired the tenacity that he'd hold on to the terminology and the definitions because, you know, we let evangelical become ruined. But uh, anyway, pre-wrath is very, very niche. Ryan Habana, uh, who, who led me to pre-wrath, is obviously pre-wrath. Uh, Alan Kirshner is a mutual friend that I have uh, have through Ryan that also is uh, pre-wrath. Um, I've had him on at least once. I think he maybe he's been on a couple times with me. And then uh, Kofi Ado Bohan is another guest that, as far as I know, well, that's it, as far as I know, um, people that, I could mention on a podcast that a listener might be familiar with. It's pre-wrath. Everybody else, you, 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 y'all, you pre-millennial, or uh, I'm millennial. Um, there's a lot more of you than there are us pre-wrathers. So, yeah, I, uh, I talked about how we found our church by way of Chuck Missler through John Mark L. DeBobdeway. Now, what fuels me today? I've got a couple verses here that I put in my notes that I want to talk about. What has kept me going for over two decades? And uh, one of them was because, as you know, I, I 
really got into logic. I love, especially the fallacies, the informal logic. I, I just love learning about it. I love reviewing it. I love, uh, you know, I love teaching it. I, I like, I like to, because, you know, I'm not formally trained in, uh, in any theology at all. Not, not formally. I don't going to go to seminary or Bible college or anything, but I've always felt very, uh, very comfortable in that, uh, I, I like to share what I learn. That's part of my learning process. And I, I don't like to think of myself as a teacher per se, you know, that's kind of a weighty thing to, to, to say, because, you, know, you know, the Lord says that, uh, there's a, there's a stricter judgment for teachers, but, uh, anyway, I, but part of my learning process, and that's, that's part of what's driven this, this podcast for 13 years is, uh, is to just share what I learn, and 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 because there's always going to be you know if I'm learning it, there's always going to be somebody else who still hasn't learned it too, and so it, it, that's that's always been kind of my drive within the church, uh, you know, the great universal church is to to share to to help I want to grow and to help my brothers and sisters in Christ grow as well. So along the lines of the logic, one thing that's driven me is um, I've always taken to. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read 12 to 19, but the passage continues past that. But Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of people to be most pitied. And I've always taken to that since getting into logic because I like the logical progression there. That, as I've said in my logic presentations, as I've tried to share what I've learned in logic, I, I like that this is really is Paul throwing down the gauntlet, and really he's he's uh, it's kind of a backdoor way of of challenging unbelievers. I like to use it that uh, in that sense too. That go ahead disprove the resurrection if you can disprove the resurrection as a historical event that actually happened you can disprove all of christianity as paul says here he's i mean he can't be more clear there if we have if in christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied really really if we are putting our faith and our hope in a resurrection that isn't even real that we should be, it's pitiable. It really is. It's pathetic. It really would be. But I have always loved that because of the logical progression and because we know that Christ actually was resurrected. And we know it's, that's the truth. Another passage that, uh, because I went through that early period and having a, a, a new believer zeal, I really had a new believer zeal back in 99 and into 2000. Devouring the Bible, as I mentioned. Loving reading, uh, listening to verse by verse uh, Bible teachings. 
and you know, as I just said about what my own thoughts on, uh, kind of share teaching in that sharing what I've learned kind of thing. Um, I, honestly, I think, I think that's really what Chuck Missler was about. That's, that was it. his ministry became was just a similar kind of thing. A guy who really enjoyed, uh, learning the Bible in his own way. And a lot of his stuff was really to, to share that, to teach it to others. But, um, so in that regard, one thing, another verse that's driven me is to not lose sight of that early believer zeal. And that was Revelation 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's It sticks with me to try to hold on in any way I can to that early new believer zeal, that love I had at first, the Lord, the one who saved me. So that's it. That's my testimony. That's how, that's my story anyway. That's where I come from, how I was saved. A lot more than I know I've, I've mentioned it, sprinkled it out through 161 other episodes, but in, in its own way, but um, kept falling behind on episodes. So part of thinking of doing this one is uh, it hopefully will, I have an idea who I'd like to ask to come do uh, an, an episode with me for November. And um, doing it this way, I feel like I can, I'm, I'm not going to edit this. I'm just going to hit stop. I'll uh, clean up the very beginning and the very end so there isn't a bunch of pause. But um, it's, uh, it's just going to go up as it is. So this episode will be a lot less work than normal for me. I normally will put uh, a good half a day into an episode after I've recorded it and uh, am putting it together. So hopefully this will give me a chance to start to catch up. I, I know I haven't talked to them yet, but December has typically been Fred Butler and Andrew Rappaport. Andrew, I'm sure you're listening for sure uh, of the two of you. I, I, I'm guessing Fred does too, but um, I'll be calling or emailing soon and, um, hoping to get on your schedule for December episode, but for November, still got to find a guest and a topic. And I've got an idea, but I didn't want with, uh, kind of getting over the, the Rona. I hate the term COVID. That's why I'm not calling it that the uh, politically correct term that the Chinese asked to be used because they didn't like being identified with the virus they created. But, um, yeah, so I call it the Rona, the coof, whatever. Coronavirus. China originated viral infectious disease, whatever it might be. But uh, 
So that's all. But um, that wraps up episode 162. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. Show notes uh, are going to be at echozoe.com slash 162. And um, so I had a bullet pointed list. I think I'm just going to, I'm just going to copy that right into WordPress and post my, my bullet points, my little outline, my guide will be up there. I'll have a, a few verses that I threw out will be there as well. Don't forget to check out Echo Zoe Ministries on Locals. Please, echozoe.locals.com. That's L-O-C-A-L-S dot com. If you like it, and I hope you do, I hope you can join us and start to build a community right now. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. The reason why I'm talking about this, I have one person besides myself. Well, there's two, but one of them is a, is a locals tech support person. So I, I really have one person who's signed up on my locals and I would like to get that up above 50. I see other locals communities. I love it's, it's free and it's, I mean, free, like free speech, free is in speech. It's uh, it's really a, a neat community uh, place and they, they were started by political conservatives. So we know we're not going to get canceled and their platform rules just are, don't break the law. So they're not coming after you if you say something they don't like. I mean, I haven't talked about the founder, but the founder is um, has a is, is somebody who I would have serious disagreements on at least one issue, but uh, I'll leave that for you to kind of poke around and figure out who founded Locals and why would I have disagreements with them. I would love to have dinner with a guy, actually, and I think we would have great respectful, wonderful conversation, but I disagree with one big thing and I think he would understand and he'd be okay with that. And I think we would still have a respectful, cordial, friendly conversation, but um, check it out. L O C A L S.com and echo Zoe.locals.com and check out that. Please, please not just echo Zoe. Check out all of the different communities over there. Cause there's a bunch of really good ones. Um, I like Viva Barnes law.locals.com. And uh, that's that's where I poke around day to day. Lots of neat stuff there. But uh, that's the episode. And um, so there we are. Lord willing, I'll be back next month with the November episode of Echo Zoe Radio. And like I like to do every October in keeping with the celebration of the Reformation on the last day of the month. Halloween, also Reformation Day. I will close the show with the Reformation polka. Then I was just a younger man, I studied canon law. Though Erfurt was a challenge, t'was just to please my pa. Then came a storm, the lightning struck, I called upon St. Anne. I shaved my head, I took my vows in Augustinian. People, fools, indulgences, and transubstantiation. Speak your mind against them and face excommunication. Nail your theses to the door, let's start a reformation. The papal bulls, indulgences, and transubstantiation. When Tetzel came near Wittenberg, St. Peter's prophet's sword. So I wrote a little message for the All Saints Bulletin Board. You cannot purchase merit, for we're justified by grace. Here's 95 more reasons, Brother Tetzel, in your face. 
Oh, papal bulls, indulgences, and transubstantiation. Speak your mind against them and face excommunication. Nail your theses to the door, let's start a reformation. With papal bulls, indulgences, and transubstantiation. They love my tracks, adored mine with all were exemplar. The Pope, however, hauled me up before the Emperor. Are these your books? Do you recant? King Charles did demand. I will not change my diet, sir. God help me, here I stand. Papal bulls, indulgences, and transubstantiation. Speak your mind against them and face excommunication. Nail your theses to the door, let's start a reformation. With papal bulls, indulgences, and transubstantiation. Duke Frederick took the wise approach, responding to my words. By knighting George's hostage in the kingdom of the birds. Use Brother Martin's model if the languages you seek. Stay locked inside a castle with your Hebrew and your Greek. Oh, papal bulls, indulgences, and transubstantiation. Speak your mind against them and face excommunication. Nail your theses to the door, let's start a reformation. With papal bulls, indulgences, and transubstantiation. Now let's raise our steins and concord books together in this place and spread the word that Catholic is spelled with lowercase. The word remains unfettered when the spirit gets her chance. So come on, Katie, drop your loot and join us in our dance. Papal bulls, indulgences, and transubstantiation. Speak your mind against them and face excommunication. Nail your theses to the door, let's start a reformation. With papal bulls, indulgences, and transubstantiation. Papal bulls, indulgences, and transubstantiation.